I was asked to talk about not fearing God's punishment, kind of going along with the theme of fear and dealing with fear. And it's something that we talk a lot about here in Master Plan and in Connect. We do this Crush Fear project in the summers. I encourage you to do it. It is a great way to work through some fears and to gain some confidence in your walk with God. It's exciting. But this is a topic that we deal with often, and that's not an accident. We deal with it because it's a real issue, and fear really does limit us, and fear really will prevent you from being who God made you to be and accomplishing what he made you to accomplish. Because when you're afraid, you don't take the steps that you need to take to be who God made you to be or to do what he made you to do. So in honor of Nikki, I thought we'd start with a quick acronym, all right? So you can write it down if you want. There are four main types of fear, and this PAIN acronym will help you remember them, and they're relevant to what we're talking about today. And by PAIN, I mean these really hurt you, right? Fear isn't just something you're scared of, but it's something that is detrimental to you and your health and your future. It causes pain in your life, all right? So remember these four different types of fears. You have P, phobias, all right? Phobias are irrational fears. I am afraid of spiders. It's kind of irrational. There's never been a spider that's truly hurt me. I've had a bad spider bite or two, but it's not like anything has ever jeopardized my life. So it's kind of an irrational fear. There might be other irrational fears that you have, and those irrational fears might actually limit you. Some people might just laugh this off and say, oh, you know, what's being afraid of sharks? It's not going to hurt you that bad. Well, anytime you start letting some irrational fear grow in your life, it's going to create irrational fear babies, all right? It's kind of a weird concept, right? <laughs> fear grows, it multiplies. So if you do have some irrational fear in the background, I encourage you to deal with it because it won't be long before it starts leading to other fears and producing other fears as well. All right, anxieties, A. Anxieties are present in all of our lives in varying degrees, right? You have anxieties about tests, about work, about relationships, about a million different things. Some of you have less than others. I think the way I'm wired as a human being, I have a strong sense of, of direction and vision. I almost always know many steps ahead, and it's been like that my whole life. But the problem with that, kind of the, the backside of that, is you also are always wondering about the 19 things that might go wrong. Does that make sense? So what I have to do on a daily basis is I have to cast my anxieties on Christ in prayer. That's what we're told to do in 1 Peter. That's what Philippians 4 says will result in peace. But as I cast those anxieties on him in prayer, he takes them and he replaces them with peace. So I encourage you to do that. But that's the A in pain. I is insecurities. Sometimes the most confident-looking people are full of insecurities, and they mask their insecurities with their supposed confidence. I've had people that would blow your mind if you knew they had an insecurity. Some of the most good-looking, strong athletes on campus, guys that everybody, think, that everybody thinks have, have everything together, and they'll tell me, Nate, I had one guy tell me, I asked him to put his insecurities down on a piece of paper to work through them, and he said, I'm so insecure, I can't write my insecurities down on a piece of paper. And this was one of the most outgoing guys I've ever met in my life. You have insecurities, and the quicker you realize that and deal with them, 
the quicker you're going to allow God to really heal you and free you from those fears. So phobias, anxieties, insecurities. Now, N, narcissistic fears. Okay, these are fears of not giving God control. These are the fears that say, I've always done it this way, and by golly, I'm not going to stop now. Does that make sense? I'm doing it my way, and there's no other way. That's really pride at its core, but we all have those narcissistic fears. We're really afraid to let God do something that might be a little different in our lives. We're really afraid to follow him, whatever his will might be. Russ joked about being afraid to commit to full-time ministry because God might send him to where, Russ? Outer Slavovia. <laughs> all right. But we all have these narcissistic fears. I don't truly want to surrender full control to Christ because what if, what if, what if? Does that make sense? So those are four big types of fears. And the talk is about God's punishment and not fearing God's punishment. We're going to read 1 John 4.18 in a minute. You can turn there if you want. But all fear, either directly or indirectly, is fearing God's punishment in a way. And I'll explain that in a minute. But all fear comes back to that issue. So as we get started thinking about those fears I just discussed, because they all relate back to an incorrect fear of God, I want to start with a story. I was sharing my faith while I was getting gas very close to here. In fact, it was at the gas station about five minutes down the hill. And one of the people that happened to be there that day was a pretty big guy, pretty burly man's man type of guy. And I just said, hey, when was the last time somebody told you Jesus loves you? And he goes, Jesus doesn't love me. He hates me. <laughs> and I said, actually, that's not true. The Bible says he loves you. And the guy's wife says, it's true. The Bible says he loves you. And he goes, well, that might be true, but he sure is ticked with me. <laughs> Isn't that great? And we got to talk a little bit about the gospel. But isn't that kind of your baseline perspective sometimes? Even though you might not admit it, a lot of Christians live with this baseline perspective that God doesn't like me, or he's kind of mad at me, or he's on my case because I didn't quite line up. Especially non-Christians, I think, that don't have a relationship with God might have those fears, and often for good reason. I'll get to that in a minute. But this is a reality of life, this incorrect fear of God, this idea that God is ticked with me, or God hates me, or God doesn't like me, or God's trying to harm me in some kind of way. Either he's directly punishing me, or he's indirectly not protecting me and allowing me to be harmed. Does that make sense? You guys ever there? I think a lot of us can be there, and we need to constantly check to make sure we're not going there. With that in mind, we need to get good at checking our fears, and this is going to be the focus of our talk today. So here's the title and it's relevant. Follow your fears in reverse. Did you get that? Follow your fears in reverse. Sounds crazy, but why don't you say it with me because it's going to put the rest of the talk into context. Follow your fears in reverse. Got it? Follow your fears in reverse. Okay, now let's read 1 John 4.18 together. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Did you get that? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So how does fear have to do with punishment? Like I said, 
You can either A, fear that God is directly trying to hurt you and punish you, or B, you can fear that God will not protect you. They're kind of both indirectly related to this fear of God's punishment, right? When you have an insecurity, you fear what other people think of you. In other words, you don't realize that what's most important is what God thinks about you. When you have an anxiety, you fear that God won't provide or that God won't show up or that God won't be there, right? It's fearing God not being who he says he is. It's fearing God's punishment either directly or indirectly. A phobia is just the same. God won't protect me from the Hana virus or God won't protect me from whatever your phobia might be. Russ, if he, if he finds out you have a phobia, he will make you crush it. Often, he made me handle a dead mouse last night to... Oh, another one. Good. I'm excited to deal with my phobia of Hanavirus again. All right. Anyway, your narcissistic fears, these fears of not giving God control, they are at their core fear of God's punishment, right? I don't want to give control over 100% because what if God makes me go to outer Slavovia? Or what if, what is he going to make me do? What is he going to make me give up? What if he doesn't let me get married? What if he doesn't let me have a big house and lots of money and a nice career? It's a fear of God in a wrong sense, not a fear of God in the right sense. And we'll get to that as we go on this morning. So what is the fear of God? It is important that we deal with the fear of God because the Bible says that the fear of God is good. That's very different than being afraid of God. And I'll explain that this morning. But before we even get there, I want to calibrate our thinking on the fear of God. So here's what the book of Proverbs says about the fear of God. Are you ready? This is really, really good. And you won't be able to write all this down. You can come take a picture of it with your phone later if you want to get it. But here's what the book of Proverbs says about the fear of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. It leads to life and enables you to rest content, untouched by trouble. It adds length to life. It is a fountain of life that turns you from the snares of death. It enables you to avoid evil. It brings wealth and honor in life. It will keep you safe. And it provides a secure fortress for you and your children. Proverbs says that blessed is the man who always fears the Lord and a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And it says knowing that we should always be zealous for the fear of God. So the fear of God in its correct sense seems like a really good thing, correct? It's the beginning of life, it's the beginning of wisdom, it's the beginning of knowledge, it's the beginning of blessing, and on and on and on, and protection and praise and you name it, it starts with the fear of God. So in our mind, we have these two things that we have to deal with. On the one end, I am not supposed to be afraid of God. Scripture says that perfect love casts out all fear, and that we shouldn't fear God's punishment if we know Him as believers. On the flip side of the coin, I am to fear God in a very different sense. So what is that all about? First of all, if I don't have a relationship with God, so if I haven't yet been adopted into his family by putting my trust in him, receiving his gift of forgiveness, if I haven't yet taken that step of faith to trust him with my life, at that point, I should fear God's punishment. Because scripture is very clear that all sin has to be punished. Hebrews 10, 31, with that in mind, says it is a frightening thing to fall into the hands of the living God. For someone that does not have a relationship with God, they really should have a healthy fear 
of what the Bible describes as an eternity separated from God because of our sin. That's not a good thing. That's a terrifying thing. But we don't have to stay in that place. We need to get past that to a place of knowing Jesus as our Savior and Lord. See, apart from Christ, I should fear His punishment. But because of Christ, I don't need to fear His punishment. As God's children, fear is not being afraid of God. Right? 1 John 14 again says that there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Think about it kind of in these terms. The day before I got married, right here at this lodge, Russ did Aaron and my wedding, that day before that was probably the most terrifying day of my life. I backed my car into the lady's truck who was doing our tuxes. I could not sleep for five minutes that entire night. I woke up to have my quiet time the morning of my wedding, and I was shaking so bad I couldn't read my Bible. I was terrified. Now, I wasn't afraid of Aaron. You couldn't possibly be afraid of Aaron. She's the nicest, sweetest person I've ever met in my life. She's the gentlest, kindest person I know. You couldn't be afraid of her. But I was fearful of the gravity of all that that day entailed. I knew that there was a whole lot on the line. Does that make sense? I knew there was a lot going on. And in a sense, that's a little bit about like what it's like to have a healthy fear of God. Now that you're his child, you aren't afraid of him, but you have a healthy reverence and awe of the magnitude of who he is and what that means. Does that kind of make sense? Does it help you kind of grasp what I'm talking about? So fearing God is not being afraid of his punishment. Again, Jesus loves you so much that he died in your place for your sins. He punished your sin at the cross. I'll say that again a few times this morning. All sin has to be punished. If you've trusted Christ for your salvation, your sin has been punished completely at the cross. There's nothing left to punish. Does that make sense? All that punishment was on Christ at the cross. It's no longer there for you. Now, as God's children, the fear of God is two things. Please remember this, because for the rest of your life, people will say, what's the fear of God? And I've heard more wrong answers to this than right answers. So it'd be good to remember the two things that the fear of God is. First, the fear of God is a healthy reverence, awe, and trust of God. That's important. It's realizing that he is God and I am not. He is perfect and I am not. He is holy and I am not. He is magnificent and I am not. He is much greater than me. His way is the right way. My way is not the right way. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it says that his thoughts and actions are different than ours. Right? He is so much beyond me and I should have a healthy realization of that every single day. That will help me realize that when I'm tempted with sin, his way is best. My way is so far inferior. When I start to blur the lines and I start to call wrong right and I start to actually be tempted by what's not good, I'm blurring who God is in my mind. Does that make sense? I'm starting to convince myself that I might just know a little better than God. And that's not fearing him. That's not reverencing him. That's not trusting him. That's not having an awe of him. So fearing God at its core is having a reverence, an awe, and a trust of God. You guys got that? 
So reverence, awe, and trust. Psalm 33.8 puts it this way. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Does that make sense? Fearing God is standing in awe of him. It's realizing who he is and who I am and the difference between us. It's thankfully noticing what he's done for me so that I could be in relationship with him, so that I could have peace with him, not because of anything I've done, but because of what he's done. That's a healthy fear of God. Psalm 43 and 115.11 describe the fear of God as trusting him. So I have a reverence of him and all of him, and that creates a trust in him. He is always right. I am never right. So either I get on board with him or I'm in trouble. Does that make sense? So it's a reverence and awe and a trust of God. Now that leads exactly to the second thing that the fear of God is. See, throughout scripture, the fear of God is connected with obeying God because I trust him and I know that his way is best. I'm not afraid of him, but I know that his way is best. So the second part of the fear of God is really fearing what will happen when I blur that view of who God is. Does that make sense? When I don't have a reverence and awe of God, I do things my way, and what's the result? Is it fun? Does it always turn out badly? Do I always face the consequences of my own sin and my own bad decisions? I should live with a real fear of not obeying God. I should live with a real fear of what will happen when I don't follow him. Does that make sense? I'm not fearing God's punishment at that point. I know if I sin, I will be forgiven. But I also know if I sin, it'll cause irreparable harm in so many areas. God can bring good out of it for me and for those that love him, but there will be consequences to my sin. Right? And that's part of the fear of God. It's reverencing him and having an awe of him, trusting him and obeying him. And at the same time, really fearing what will happen if I don't do just that. Really fearing the reality that if I get on the throne and do it my way, bad things happen. Does that make sense? When Nate is on the throne, it leads to bad decisions. When Christ is reverenced for who he is, good things happen. Does that make sense? So are you getting this full picture of the fear of God? One, it's reverencing him having an awe of him and trusting and obeying him. And two, it's having a healthy fear of what will happen if I don't do that. It won't be good for me. Psalm 3, verse 7 and 8, 13 say that the fear of the Lord is to turn from and hate evil. Does that make sense? If I truly trust him, revere him, have an awe of him, I'm going to turn from evil. It's that second part of the fear of God. I know that evil is wrong. And Genesis 22:12 says that Abraham's trust and obedience were his fear of God. See, if I'm not following him, if I'm doing my own thing, that is not fearing God. That is the opposite of fearing God. So as God's child, I should not fear his punishment. If I don't have a relationship with Christ, that is something I do need to fear. And that doesn't mean I work harder. That means I come to a relationship with Christ. We'll discuss that before we close this morning. But as his child, I don't fear his punishment, but I do reverence and awe him, and I do have a healthy awe for and trust in him, and I have a fear of what will happen if I lose sight of who he is and get myself in my own view. Okay, so we all on the same page here? That's a good view of the fear of God, which is very different than being afraid of his punishment. Do you see the difference? Two very different things. Luther used this analogy. Luther said, 
There's a difference between the servile fear, that's like slave-like fear, and filial fear, or childlike fear, son-like fear. See, when you go to your dad, you probably have a healthy fear and respect of him. He provides for your needs, puts a roof over your head. If you go against his will, you're going to be disciplined, and that's not always fun. But at the same time, most of us don't go to sleep at night thinking my dad is going to kill me, right? I'm sure there are some people that have that kind of fear of their parent figure. Now, with God, we have a real childlike fear, not that slave-like fear. We, we don't live in fear of his punishment, but we live in fear and awe and respect of who he is, realizing that his way really is best. And if I get off track from that, it will be bad, but he still will be involved in my life. All right, so my kids, they have a healthy respect for me, but they're not afraid of me at all right? Michael jump on me and tackle me from behind things and I scare the girls and they scare me and things like that. They don't walk around thinking, oh my gosh, I have to be afraid of dad. But they do have a respect of me and Aaron. If I say don't do this, they don't do that because they know that if they do, there will be discipline. Okay, so what about your fears? I want you to survey the fears that you have. And in a minute, when we close, I'm going to give you something to work through where you can actually kind of personalize some of this. Remember I said, follow your fears in reverse. If fear of God is what I have just told you it is, and if scripture tells you that there's no fear, no being afraid in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love, you can evaluate your fears to see where your relationship with God is lacking. Does that make sense? If you have a fear in a certain area, that's a great big indicator that that is an area where you are not being perfected in love in your relationship with God. That's why you can follow your fears in reverse. I think it's healthy to look at your fears, say, what am I fearing, especially about God? And then what's the opposite of that? What's the reverse of that? Because that's something I need to start growing with God in. Now, if I'm always afraid of what other people think about me, what might that tell you about how you view God? Maybe you don't yet see his approval as the most important thing in your life. Does that make sense? Maybe you don't yet receive your value from him alone. A good solution to that fear might be to grow in your walk with God by reminding yourself daily of who you are in Christ. Reminding yourself daily that you're valuable, not because of what you've done, but because you've been made in his image and he died for you because he loved you so much. Grabbing onto that truth and reminding yourself of it day after day after day after day will cast out that fear and insecurity that you have. Do you, do you get how that process works? So what you're going to do in the application in a little while is survey your fears and see their opposite and learn how you can grow in your walk with God. Follow your fears in reverse. Scripture tells us that we should fear God rather than men. Jesus said that in Matthew 10, 28. We also see that elsewhere in Scripture. The reality is that if we can get past this fear in the afraid sense of God, and if we can get to this fear and the reverence and awe and relational aspect with God we will experience security instead of insecurity. We will experience peace instead of anxiety. 
We will experience freedom instead of bondage. Don't you want that? Don't you guys want that in your walks with God? So here are the keys. This is going to do it. All right, so fear has to do with punishment, and you should not fear God's punishment. Fear always goes back to not trusting God in some area. Like I said, either you're fearing directly that he's going to punish me directly, or you're fearing indirectly that he's going to not protect me or not do me good, right? Either way, your fear is going back to a wrong view of God and to not correctly reverencing God for who he is. That's why scripture says that we should fear God, not men or other things. Because when we fear him, we don't have to fear anything else. See, if I can get this thing straight in my head and see God for who he is and see me for who I am in him, I can be free from all fear. I don't have to fear God's punishment like 1 John 4.18 says. Like I said before, when we look at sin, sin always has to be punished. And I think we know this intuitively. If somebody does something wrong to you, what's the first thing that you want? Revenge, right? Or retribution or justice. Don't you want that person to have to pay back or give back, right? If somebody steals your 50 bucks, you want that 50 bucks back. And you don't want them doing it again. Or when you hear of little girls being raped 50 times a day in Cambodia, don't you want justice to be done? My wife has been to Cambodia to work with those girls, and you hear these stories, and you want justice to be done with everything in you. You want the men that perpetrate that to be crushed, right? You want It's natural for you as a human being to want justice because you know that sin has to be dealt with. Sin has to be punished. Scripture tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. And we know that. Sin leads to death. It leads to spiritual death. And there are consequences and justice that should result. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. See, I think we know this intuitively. And this comes back in our walk with God because we see our sin and we know that sin has to be punished. And so we think what? I deserve to be punished. Right? God must be against me. God must be on my bad side. What you have to realize, guys, 1 Peter 2 says that God bore your sins on his body on the cross. Do you get that? Your sins were punished at the cross. It says that he forgave your sins and he took the judgment that was against you because of your sin and he nailed it to the cross. So your sin has been punished at the cross. Why don't I need to fear God's punishment? Because it's already happened. Does that make sense? It happened to Jesus on your behalf. Isn't that great news? I can live the rest of my life without fearing God's punishment, knowing that all my sin has been punished already at the cross. It's dealt with. Jesus paid the price. I don't have to fear it anymore. It's already been taken out on him. That's great news, right? I don't have to fear God's punishment now. He already bore that in his own body on the cross for me. What I do need to be aware of is that second type of the fear of God, and that's God's discipline. Now, I shouldn't be afraid of God's discipline, but I should have a healthy fear of it. Right? God's discipline is good for me, and it's good for you. Hebrews 12, 7 through 11 puts it this way. It says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? 
If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Do you want to be like Jesus? Isn't that the point of life is to love him and to grow closer to him, become more like him? That's not going to happen without discipline, right? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So in this life, you don't fear God's punishment if you've put your faith and trust in him because your sin has been punished already at the cross. That being said, God is very interested in making you more and more like him. In fact, the moment you put your trust in Christ, he put his Holy Spirit in you, and he began, Scripture says in 2 Corinthians, transforming you day by day into Christ's likeness through his Spirit. That involves discipline. That involves allowing you to face some of the natural consequences of your sin in a way that you'll grow to be more like Christ. That's probably happened to all of you. I'm sure it has. And sometimes we don't like it when we're being disciplined. But it's for our good and we can trust God. He's not out to hurt me. He's not out to harm me. He's growing me through this. He doesn't desire to punish me, but he desires to make me more and more like him and to bless me that way. Talking about humility, Andrew Murray says, we often ask God for humility and then we fear, flee, and seek deliverance from all that he would use to bring us to that place. It's the same thing here. We desire to be Christ-like. So Christ says, well, if you're going to be Christ-like, it's going to take some godly discipline in your life, helping you become more, well, I don't want that discipline part. I just want to be Christ-like with the snap of a finger, right? Well, God loves you enough to not leave you how you are. When you sin, he will not punish you. He's already punished you at the cross in Jesus Christ if you've trusted him. But when you sin, you can have a healthy fear that you'll face his discipline. You guys getting the difference between the two? I don't fear his punishment, but I do have a healthy fear of the reality that there will be discipline that will help me grow. But scripture even says it won't be pleasant at the time. So it's important for us to remember what fearing God is and what it is not. It's not being afraid of him. It is having a healthy reverence and awe for him and a realization that there will be good discipline that won't be pleasant at the time when I get off track from him. So perfect love casts out fear, we're told in 1 John 4, 18. We don't need to fear God's punishment and perfect love casts out fear. It's imperative that you latch on to who you are in Christ. Romans 8, 15 says, You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. See, I'm not a slave to fear. Why? It says, you received a spirit of sonship by which you cry, Abba, Father. The word Abba was Aramaic for daddy. Okay, my girls, and not quite Matt, Micah, he does a little bit sometimes, say daddy. It's an affectionate term. Nobody else says daddy in here to me. And you better not start. <laughs> but the reality is that's a very personal and affectionate term. And scripture says, you didn't receive a spirit of fear when you came to Christ, but a spirit of sonship where you can have that type of intimate relationship with God, referring to him in those very personal terms, Daddy, God. Is that not incredible? 
I have a friend, every time we pray together, he starts out by saying, Daddy, please work in this person's life. Daddy, help us share our faith today. Daddy, it's so neat to hear him. But that is how we can approach God with that very personable relationship because of what Christ did for us. We're his children. Galatians 4, 6 says the exact same thing. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba Father, Daddy Father, right? You have a child and father relationship with God that's not one of being afraid of him. It's not one of being afraid of his punishment, but it's one of love. It's one of intimacy. It's one one of knowing that he knows what's best for you. And even when it's painful, he'll get you there safely. Even when tragedies happen, like Heidi shared about this morning, I can trust God is working in my life. He's making me more like Christ. Someday good will come out of this. I don't know when that day will be, and I might not ever notice it, but I can trust God it'll be there. Some of the hardest things that ever happened in my life, I held on to that. God will bring good out of this. He is disciplining me. He is making me more like Jesus. He's not against me. He's not punishing me but he's helping me be more and more like him, which will be good in this life and it will be good for all of eternity because he's helping me lay up rewards that will last forever by allowing me to go through this discipline now. If, if I can get a hold of that view of God, guys, when I realize nothing can separate me from his love. Romans 8 tells us that, right? When I realize that he will never leave me nor forsake me, When I realize the good work that he started me, he'll bring it to completion. When I really get a hold of that stuff, I can live with security and peace and confidence, knowing that I don't have to be afraid of him, realizing that I have a father-son relationship with him. I respect him as more than just a buddy. He is God. I have a healthy fear of the discipline that's unpleasant, that I will experience when I sin, but it's all grounded in relationship. It's all like a perfect relationship between a father and son or a father and a daughter, a perfect father, right? That's what we're talking about. So you have to get to a point of telling yourself the truth, guys, because our mind brings up all the time, you're not good enough. You're not valuable enough. People don't like you. You'll never amount to anything. You're a failure. You sinned again, you'll never get victory over that sin. God will probably quit forgiving you. I grew up in a denomination that said some of those very things. Supposedly non-denominational, but there was a very strong emphasis on you not being secure in your relationship with God. That emphasis was not biblical. Today I read scripture and it's just dumbfounding how I never got that. It's dumbfounding how much pain this caused for so many years. When I got to school, Russ goes through the discipleship packet with me. And I'm thinking, whatever, Russ, I've been a Christian for like 15 years. I've read through the whole Bible. I have this and that. What do you know? Boom. The most revolutionary truths I've ever heard sink in, change me from the inside out. I realize that there's security, that I don't have to be afraid of God. What does that do? That transforms me. Now I start to want to live for him, not because I have to, out of the wrong fear, but because I want to out of love. And that's what happens when I tell myself the truth. When I remind myself, no, I'm not a failure. 
when I remind myself, no, God will forgive me. I heard a pastor once say, God will forgive you once or twice or three times, but if you keep sinning a couple more times, I don't know the exact number, but at some point, at some number, God just says, forget it, you're not serious, I'll never forgive you again. That lie stuck deep for many, many years until I realized, and it didn't help me get over any sin. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Right? That kind of fear doesn't have any power to give you victory over sin. But when I realize that God forgives me no matter what because it's all been done at the cross, now I have freedom and out of love I can obey. Okay, so Paul prayed for the Ephesians. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Isn't that great? How high and long and wide and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. And that's my hope for you this morning, that you would know the love that God has for you, and that you'd believe it rather than being afraid of Him. In 1 John 4.16, it says God is love. In 1 Corinthians 13.4-8, describes love, saying love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres, and love never fails. Is that good? Is that a good definition of love? Now, if God is love, think of God in these terms as he relates to you, Michael. Think about this. This is how God relates to you, Aaron. This is how God relates to you. God is patient with you. God is kind to you. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud, God is not rude, God is not self-seeking, God is not easily angered, God keeps no record of wrongs. Okay, so when you start thinking, I've done too many bad things, okay, or God must be after me now, God keeps no record of wrongs. They've already been dealt with at the cross. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God always protects, God always trusts, God always hopes, God always perseveres, and God never fails. Isn't that a great way to realize how God relates to you? It's different than being afraid of him, for sure, right? I need to grasp that, and I need to tell myself that daily, to know who I am in Christ and who he made me to be and how he relates to me, and to believe that and to trust that. See, you can't earn God's love or make him love you more. You simply are loved because of who you are, made in his image, paid for with his own blood. He thinks about you constantly, Psalm 139 says, and Jeremiah 31 says he's loved you with an everlasting love. When does that love stop? Never, right, Jay? We need to get to a point where we see ourselves in that light. Then when we fear, what can I do? I realize that fear is a GPS, right? Because when I fear, I'm not believing that about God. I'm not believing that he always protects. I'm not believing that he always loves me and that he never fails me. When I fear, I'm starting to think he's not going to show up. He is going to fail me. He's not going to protect me, right? So I have to use that fear as a GPS that shows me I'm going in the wrong direction. We were hunting this year, and we're hiking. Remember this, Brandon? And I said, it says we're 500 yards away or something, but in the opposite direction. <laughs> Turns out that my GPS was wrong. 
But that's how your fear is. It's like the fear that says you're going in the wrong direction. Does that make sense? It's showing you there's a need to grow closer to God. Okay, so going back to what I said, you see you have a fear, and that fear shows you the opposite of what should be in your relationship with God. You're not believing what he just said about himself. You're not believing that he's patient. You're not believing that he's kind. You're not believing that he does not envy. You're not believing that he does not boast. You're not believing that he is not self-seeking. You're not believing that he's not easily angered. In fact, you're thinking, oh, he must be really angry at me now. You're not believing that he keeps no record of wrongs. You're not believing that he doesn't delight in evil. You might think he wants to do you harm. You're not believing that he always protects. You're not believing that he always trusts, that he always hopes, that he always perseveres. And surely, when you fear, you're not believing that he never fails, right? So I need to take those fears that are real in my life and say, where are these things pointing? What do I need to realize is true about God? And how do I need to tell myself that truth? How do I need to remind myself of what's true about his character in light of this fear? Are you tracking with me? You guys there? Instead of fearing his punishment, I take that fear and say, what needs to change in how I view God? Where am I getting off track in my view of God? So when I get there, I can grow in my walk with God. And here are four ways that you can do that. First, you can ask him to grow your heart for him. Every single morning in my prayer times, I don't count it. But spontaneously, I think I ask God to help me love him more about 20 times a morning, right? It's like, it just, every single time I'm casting those anxieties on him and giving him those things in my life and praying for Russ and praying for Malcolm and praying for you students and praying for my family. When I'm doing all this stuff, over and over and over, I'm reminded by how little I really love God. And I say, God, help me love you more. And you know what? The, the result of loving him more is my fears dissipate. Isn't that true? So I'd say first and foremost, when you see that you have fears, ask God to grow your heart for him. Ask God to help you love him more. That's a prayer that he will answer. Maybe incrementally, maybe not all at once, but he will answer it. Second, spend time with him. Get in his word. Get in prayer. Have a quiet time every morning where you can connect with God. Choose to be filled with his spirit, allowing his spirit to produce love in you, which is a fruit of the spirit, right? Third, don't neglect good fellowship. Spend time with other Christians like you are right now. This will grow your heart for God as well. And finally, here's a great way to grow your love for God. Serve him. Serving God jumpstarts your passion for him. Romans 12, 11 says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Isn't that good? When you serve God, it grows your spiritual fervor. Try this in any relationship. When I serve my wife, it grows my passion for my wife. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes I'll know something is important to Aaron, but it's not to me and I'll do it. And when I do it, I get so excited about blessing her and I'm excited to see how she reacts and what she'll think. I'm excited for her to not have that burden on her mind anymore, right? It grows my love for her. Okay, so number one, ask God to grow your heart for him. Number two, grow closer to him in his word and prayer, spending time daily with him in your quiet time and choosing to be filled with his spirit. 
allowing his spirit to grow your love for him. Third, don't neglect good fellowship. And fourth, serve him. Take some steps of faith, stepping out, obeying him, and doing something he's called you to. Try sharing your faith. That's a way to serve God. That'll jumpstart your love for God like nothing ever did. And that will crush your fears. How many of you have realized that sharing your faith is inversely proportional to your fear? Right? You're afraid like you've never been afraid before. You go share your faith. Are you less afraid or more afraid after that? Doesn't God dissolve fear as you take those steps of faith, trusting him? I've had people that I've been discipling before that I'll take out witnessing and they come back like almost slobbering on themselves. There was one guy in particular. He'd be so excited. He, he couldn't get the words out, you know? He's like, I'm like, calm down. <laughs> Tell me exactly what happened. He was just, I don't think he ever even got to lead somebody to Christ or something like that. But he was just so excited that he got to serve God. His love for God grew. All right. John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. See, when I grow my love for him, it involves obeying him. And that is part of the key to getting rid of this wrong view, this wrong fear of God. Okay, so fear God the right way, have a right view of him. That will lead you to security, which will absolve you of fear. Fear will be gone. That's why perfect love casts off all fear and you don't have to fear punishment. So there's no fear in love, we're told. And this is the end of it. Remember that fear is a GPS. Okay, you got that? Your fears are a GPS. Learn when you have an anxiety. Learn when you have a phobia. Learn when you have an insecurity. Learn when you have a narcissistic fear to say, what is this pointing at? Or maybe better yet, what's the opposite direction from this fear? If this fear is telling me I need to worry about what Ben thinks about me, I probably need to look back and say, no, it's important what God thinks about me, not what Ben thinks about me, right? Let your fears be that GPS that show you where to grow closer to God to cast out all fear. If you're afraid of God's punishment, there are only two options. One, either you don't yet have a relationship with him or you don't understand your relationship with him. Does that make sense? Now, I said that I would... I would share how to begin a relationship with God today. If you don't have a relationship with God and you do fear his punishment, there's a good reason to fear his punishment because he loves you infinitely, but you are a sinner. And so am I. We're selfish. We're not perfect. God is. And we all know that a perfect being can't be in unity with an imperfect one. He would cease to be perfect. So it's correct to fear a perfect God when I myself... I'm not perfect and have a sin issue to deal with, right? Now, God loves you and your sin has separated you from God, left unmitigated for all of eternity. That's terrifying. But at the same time, God loved you so much that he didn't leave you there. He provided Jesus, his son, God in human flesh, scripture says, to live a perfect life that you never could and to die that death that you and I deserved. And when he died that death, he didn't just die death and it was over and then he came back and it was great and it wasn't really that big of a deal because he knew he was going to rise again. Right? It's easy to rationalize how big of a deal was this for Jesus. Imagine every sin you've ever done. Imagine the correct payment for that sin. And not according to human standards set by other sinful people, but according to a perfect God. 
Now imagine all of that was unleashed on Jesus on your behalf so that you would never have to deal with that punishment. That's incredible, right? Now he says simply, if, if you're at a point where you want to receive the gift that I paid for on the cross for you, you can do it by putting your faith and trust in me, by receiving me as your Savior and Lord. He says you can do that by verbalizing it. In Romans 10, 9, let's read that real quickly. If you've never taken this step of beginning a relationship with God, you can do that today. Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is probably the simplest thing someone could ever do. And at the same time, it has more gravity than the entire universe combined. This is getting to a point where I say, I'm going to confess you as Lord, Jesus. That means up until now, I've done things my way. And now I'm saying, you take over, you take the wheel. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again to give me new life. Please come into my life, be my Savior and Lord, make me the kind of person you want me to be. So if you fear God's punishment and you've never taken that step to begin a relationship with him, you can do it right now simply by saying, Jesus, please come into my life. I realize that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again to give me new life. Please be my Savior and Lord, and please make me the kind of person you want me to be. Those exact words are kind of meaningless. I mean, it's important to confess that with your mouth, Scripture says. But at the same time, what's most important is the attitude of your heart and your willingness to surrender your life to Him, putting your faith and trust in Him alone. If you're at a point where you want to take that step today, I would encourage you to do it and to tell somebody here that you did it so that they can help you grow. And you'll never need to fear God's punishment again. Now, if you've taken that step and you still fear God's punishment, you don't understand your relationship with him. You don't realize how much he loves you, that your sin has already been fully punished, and that he wants nothing but your good. And even the discipline he allows you to painfully endure is for your good, to produce a harvest of righteousness that will bless you and many others. And it's important with that knowledge to say, I trust you, God. I have a correct fear of you. And I'm excited to love you more and let that love cast out all fear. So what I want you guys to do is we conclude here, and we're going we're gonna to wrap it up by doing this worksheet afterwards and then recombining into small groups to kind of talk about it. You can talk about it as freely as you want, or you don't have to talk about it much at all. Do not feel compelled to talk about what you do in your, in your little self-eval time right now. But remember this as you go into that evaluation time. Remember that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Fearing God is not being afraid of him, but it is two things. One, having a healthy reverence and awe for him, which leads to trust and obedience, and having a healthy fear of the consequences of not obeying him. That won't be punishment, but it will be discipline that's unpleasant, but designed for my own good and growth, right? That's the true fear of God. So with that in mind, learn to use your fear as a GPS. When I do fear, how do I need to grow in love? It's usually going to be in the direct opposite direction of your fear. And when you grow in love, put some of those things into practice. Ask God to grow your heart for him. Spend time with him in his word and in prayer daily in quiet times. 
be filled with his Holy Spirit, spend time in fellowship with other believers, and put some of that into practice, serving him and seeing your love grow. Guys, I just want you to, to kind of put all this into perspective with David's view of God's love. In Psalm 63, 1 through 8, David says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Do you feel like you earnestly seek God? I don't. I feel like I spend, you know, my daily time seeking him. But I get this picture of David earnestly seeking him day and night, in the middle of night, in the early morning, in the middle of the day, in the afternoon, in the evening. I want to be there where I'm earnestly seeking him. David says, my soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Have you ever felt like that? I need to connect with Jesus. I feel so dry right now. That's what David is saying. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Do you think he had a correct view of God's love there? Do you see the trust that it led to? The fearlessness that it led to in his life? That can be ours too. So as you think about this this morning, apply it. Put this into your life. Grow a healthy fear of God. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. It leads to life. It enables you to rest content, untouched by trouble. It adds length to life. It is a fountain of life that turns you from the snares of death. It enables you to avoid evil. It brings wealth and honor and life. It will keep you safe and it provides a secure fortress for you and your children. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And knowing that we should always be zealous for the fear of God. Have a correct fear of God. And when you have the wrong fear of God, the being afraid type, let it push you closer to God. Okay? So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to pass out these sheets and I'll give you some instructions. God, I pray that we would love you and fear you the right way, and that that love would cast out all of the being afraid of you that so many of us have tolerated for too many years. God, I thank you that you punished all of our sin on the cross, and that now you want to grow close to us, to love us, that you are our Father and we're your children, and that when we're afraid, God, we can grow closer to you in those areas, destroying that fear completely. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Grow us closer to you. Give us greater hearts for you, Jesus. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.